Hello and welcome everybody. Welcome back to SF Live. This is episode 197. I'm joined in a few short seconds by Gary Wagner. He's the CEO and executive producer over at thegoldforecast.com. Somebody I like to listen to a lot. He does a lot of interviews on gold. Somebody's opinion I really value. So I'm quite happy to have him on the program today and to be able to exchange thoughts with him and hear his thought, points of view on the Fed, on gold, on silver, interest rates, and much, much more. But before we switch over to our guest, please be reminded of two things. A, this is an interactive format. If you have any questions for our guests, make sure to use either the hashtag function AskTGF on Twitter. We'll be monitoring that, of course, as well. Or use the YouTube chat as well. Put your questions in there. We will take a look at those. Sprinkle them in when, when we see fit or just ask them at the end of the conversation with Gary. Make sure to use that. It's it's quite interactive. It makes the discussion way more active and interactive. And then, of course, follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button, of course. Turn on the bell notification as well. We do all our interviews live. That way you do have an advantage and you can hear it first straight from us and don't have to wait for the replay or any editing to take place before we publish. Now, let me switch over to over to my guest and uh, I'm really excited to welcome Gary Wagner. Gary, thanks for joining us this this afternoon or what, is, what time is it? This morning for thank you. Thank you so morning. much. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I appreciate that. We we met recently on another podcast, like on a panel discussion, and uh, it was great. It's like fantastic. Finally, I get to meet Gary and uh, get to invite him on the program. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from you on uh, the Fed, gold, silver, interest rates, seasonality. Some, we have lots to talk about, and uh, let's see if we can pack it all into our format. But before we get started, um, since it's your first time on the program, why don't you introduce yourself real quick, and uh, who's Gary Wagner and thegoldforecast.com? Well, thank you very much. Um I started out as a commodity broker back in 1984. Uh, from there, I became a CTA, a commodity trading advisor. And I realized very, very quickly, I started in the mid 80s, but in the 90s, all of the platforms that we use for charting began to display these funny looking things called candlesticks. And they look good on a screen, but nobody knew how to interpret them. And actually, I had a client that was just nailing the market. He would sell oil at the top. He would buy the bottom of soybeans. It was remarkable how his timing was. And I asked him, quite frankly, what, what are you doing to have these kinds of results? He said, well, I can't explain it to you, but I'll send you a book. And he sent me a book by Seiko Shimuzi called The Japanese Chart of Charts. First translation of a Japanese technique into English ever. And it's very cryptic in terms of reading it. It's fragmented. And after the second read, I realized it wasn't really fragmented, but rather it was giving me a, a window into how Japanese think about the markets and how they think when they write, because linguistics has so much to do with how we interpret the world around us. And what I realized after reading this book is that back in the 1600s, there was the first futures market, the Dojima Rice Exchange, and there was a gentleman who was working on developing this style of trading. Simply put, what candlesticks do that no other technique that I know of can do is they quantify, quantify market sentiment. They're able to take how people think about a market and relate that to a series of patterns or how the candlesticks form, and it gives you great insight. However, alone, they didn't have a great track record, and I realized that they needed to be fit in within another structure, which began a, about an eight-year journey uh, 
And in 2010, I published the, the uh, technical triad, which is using candlesticks with Fibonacci retracement and Elliott wave theory. Elliott wave theory, of course, is another one where you either think it's quackery or you think there's really something to it. And I believe there's something to it. And time and time again, it has shown me how markets move in cycles of markets. So you've got the big picture within an Elliott wave, the where the market is trading within a cycle, because even when a stock or commodity go up, it tends to stair step. It has a, a rally, it corrects, a rally, it corrects, a rally, it corrects. And so that there is a natural pattern. And by putting all of these things together, uh, it was really able to take my trading methodology and have it in sync with the market. And so in 2009, I saw a big move coming on in gold using this technique. And I started the uh, gold forecast. So 11 years later, here we are talking about it. And that's really, a, in a nutshell, who I am and how I got my start. That is super exciting because candlesticks is something, because I'm mostly active in the junior mining space. Like candlesticks is something I don't follow too much. For me, it's just a straight up chart and volume, right? So I, I don't look at candlesticks. It's a really interesting uh, perspective. Um, let's, let's, let's take that and, and move that into modern day. Uh, and of course, we want to talk gold and silver and, and what is happening right now. And we have to take a closer look at what the Fed is doing. Right. And uh, of course, like I think Jerome Powell is uh, giving his testimony. I think it's today, this afternoon. I, um, I think he gave it already. He gave. OK, I haven't seen that. Yet. OK, but uh, t t today. And of course, the Fed has been quite populistic last week, in my opinion, by mentioning as well. The, the, the inflation is like the lumber price. It looks like a Christmas tree. Like the chart, at least, right? It looks like a Christmas tree chart using lumber. Makes sense. Pardon the pun there. But uh, how do you see like the, the Fed right now moving? And I was, I was surprised how aggressive they were last week with their statement, which surprised the market, in my opinion, because I think the rate hikes were much of a surprise because we expected that. And, and how is that reflected now? What's your opinion on that? I'm really curious. Well, what it was, was for the first time since the pandemic began back in March of 2020, the Fed actually started the clock. They gave, you know, we've seen these dot plots, but they were very nebulous saying, listen, everything is data dependent. And until we reach certain goals and we see the economy at a certain level, then we'll let you know ahead of time that we're raising rates. What disturbed the Fed, I think, is the inflation rate, the alarming inflation rate. And the stance on, at least with Jerome Powell, is that most of it is transitory <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's that's the sticking point, because my sense is that a lot less of it is transitory than he is. He is saying publicly. I mean, you just have to go to the gas pumps, you, the grocery store, uh, the normal goods and services that people use and buy and need day in and day out and see what your dollar gets, your Canadian dollar, your U.S. dollar actually buys you in terms of buying power. And it has diminished. What just happened? Gary? Oh, Skype is reconnecting. Look at that. That hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, Gary, we're... Yeah, these things are... I'm sorry, go again? No, we were disconnected for just one second. So you, you might have to repeat the last oh. 10 seconds. For some reason, Skype just reconnected. <laughs> okay. Uh, basically, the point is, is that the Fed, I believe, believes 
that they, by saying it's transitory, it means they don't have to make any steps, any adjustments, any a raise of rate to bring it down real quickly. And yet they're in a quandary because they can't really raise rates too fast. They've got a, first of all, a, a $7 trillion or $8 trillion, excuse me, asset sheet. The government's debt is well into $8 trillion just in the last couple of years, $4 trillion last year. Uh, 1.9 so far this year. Then we've got, of course, we'll talk about that later, but the Infrastructure Act. Um, and all of that is adding to national debt. Now, we have to service that debt. We have to pay the interest on that debt uh, as a government. And when that happens, higher interest rates would just really wreak havoc in terms of the United States' ability to pay that back. So I don't think as much of what he's saying he believes in terms of the transitory nature of inflation. And of course, it is high inflation that moves gold prices. And the, the, the quandary is what happens when you raise rates is gold becomes less attractive as a safe haven asset. It doesn't produce any income. And so if you can get 2%, it changes the momentum, so to speak of whether they're buying gold or not, whether they see difficulty down the road ahead or not. And so the Fed is in a very, very tough place. I think that they came out yesterday, I mean, last week, and absolutely shocked the market. We saw gold sell off $47 the day the statement was released in the press conference. Following day was down $87, followed by Friday's action down $10. Uh, yesterday, it was up a little bit. And that was significant where it was residing at because it's an important FIB level that I'm looking at. Uh, but then there was no follow through today. And in fact, it's lower today. So we are seeing a lot of pressure on gold prices uh, due to the perception that the Fed is going to act quicker rather than later. This is a very interesting commentary because gold, as you said, like as an inflation hedge, but uh, let, let, let's assume, let's make that assumption that uh, gold always, like the market is always right and gold takes away and with current trading is future trading more or less. Uh, doesn't that mean that we're in, in, in a deflationary environment? It doesn't believe the inflation story anymore if, you, if you're selling off your gold? I, listen, we've seen lumber come down. We've seen some of the industrial metals come down. Copper specifically is a different scenario because you've got a country intervening, which is China releasing massive amounts of copper out of their stockpile, but lumber is not, and that's been coming down. Uh, I don't, I see cross currents of inflationary pressures and some things at peaks of pricing as they come down, we say it's deflationary, but at the same time, relative to what? It's deflationary after lumber hit these uh, highs that it hit and then it came down that's coming back into alignment. To me, that's more of a knee-jerk reaction uh, to market news, to information coming out. That's what we saw with the Federal Reserve. Uh, the stock market was under heavy pressure in the uh, U.S. last week, and this week you had all-time all record highs in the NASDAQ just today. So people are thinking forward to an economy that is rebounding, and they're market sentiment is looking six months down the road. And for that reason, you've got strong equities right now. Bonds and notes are interesting because 
there's absolutely government intervention. We buy $120 billion per month, the Fed does, I should say. And part of that purchase is U.S. debt instruments and mortgage-backed securities. So they are artificially holding those markets up, and then they're keeping them liquid through a quantitative easing. Uh, and that's basically the purchases that they do. So looking forward, it is a very tough read, a very tough read in terms of fundamentally where we think certain markets should go. And so what we have to do is go back to the basics, so to speak, and realize that when the Fed says they're going to raise rates two times in 2023, that doesn't mean that they've pulled the trigger. That means that they are letting us know exactly what they said they would do and, and have some sort of transparency. I think what we're witnessing now is the fact that at some point rates will go up and this is getting baked into the market. And I think that when rates go up two years from now, you shouldn't get this kind of a knee-jerk reaction because we got the knee-jerk reaction last week. All priced in then already. Yeah, good, good, good points. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of great points I want to follow up on, and uh, you, you mentioned, of course, uh, Japan and Japanese models, and uh, of course, seeing your decor behind you as well. And I had a conversation with another expert the other day, and he said the U.S. is running the Japanese model by bringing debt in country. So they'll never like. I think the GDP to debt ratio in, in uh, Japan is 250 percent. In the U.S., we're only at 130 percent. The Treasury yields are not going up yet. Does that mean we'll have to print more money and to keep keep that engine going? Is that what we're looking at? Well, first of all, when you look at a Japanese model, when they look out in time, they're looking out decades, where we might be looking out years. They're much more conservative, and their timeline is much more uh, vast. And so because of it, there is intrinsically uh, a major difference. If you look at the savings rate for the average uh, Japanese citizen, it's so much higher than in the United States. But one thing you just said shocked me, and, and I've heard the figure before, but we're running 140% to GDP, correct? Yes. Okay. So we're spending a lot more than we're making. I mean, that's... Yeah. You know, the logic that that's what I hear and you can't survive long term having that protocol. Now, we realize this is an extraordinary circumstance. The pandemic rocked the world like nothing I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm 66. Um, at the same time, the extraordinary steps are going to take time to work through the system and the the fear that I have is the accumulation of national debt. And so that brings up the infrastructure program. That's more debt piled on debt. So you've got $4 trillion in 2020. Um, if he passes it as he wants to, that's an additional $2 trillion, plus the $1.9. So he's pretty much at four. That means in the last two years, we have spent $8 trillion that we don't have, that our kids will pay for. Um, because it certainly won't get paid back in, in, in a short period of time. And that changes the landscape dr dramatically. Back to the question about Japan, I don't think we have the ability in this country to operate under those protocols. I just don't. Yeah, very short-term sightedness, especially like in, in the U.S., we're quarterly driven. 
right? That's uh, what, what I, my perception is. And it feels like COVID and Correct. Twitter and, and commentary has gotten much faster as well. It's not even quarterly anymore. It feels like we're waiting for weekly numbers and updates, uh, like, like there's no tomorrow. That's what it feels like to me, right? Um, you mentioned a couple of things. Let, let, let's talk seasonality maybe for for a second. Um, seasonality short term over the summer. Uh, what do you see? You're in the U.S. You're in Hawaii, of course, but uh, you're you're U.S. based. Um, what do you see happening with seasonality? I have mixed feelings about seasonality because the year is completely different again last year, and people are traveling. How is that factoring in? Yeah, I mean, because I am in Hawaii, in one way, I'm isolated, but I can tell you this. Um, I'm about a mile and a half from the ocean and I see the, the planes themselves going into Honolulu airport. Luckily they don't fly near me, but you can see the, the pattern at night and the number of tourists that are coming in now is remarkable. We went from pretty much empty roads to a vibrant and growing, um, downtown, which is where in Oahu people come to vacation we're seeing a real strong uptick here in tourism, which, of course, is a large part of our economy. So that isolation cannot be extruded to uh, places like Maine or Boston or other Midwest parts of the U.S. Um, Nevada's opening back up. You've got different states at different levels. But for the, as, as the whole, when you consider where we are in the United States or Canada, for that matter, we are so far ahead of the curve in terms of getting a handle on the pandemic. When you compare it to England and, and Britain, excuse me, for example, you've got they're still in lockdown. Then you've got India. They don't even discuss it anymore on the news. It is still just terribly bad. In other words, they haven't reached anywhere near a herd immunity. Uh, they can't think of reopening their economies. And if you can't open them fully, you can't have a vibrant and aggressive rebound in, the, in that economy. So I think that North America as a whole is ahead of the curve, especially Canada and the, and the U.S. And so we're experiencing strong GDP. We're experiencing growth. And at the same time, it's segmented within the United States. However, when you compare it to other parts of the world, we are way ahead of the curve. And so the fact of the matter is we live in a global economy. So for the multinational corporations, of course, anything that happens in Europe, in Asia, is going to affect their bottom line. And so that brings me to uh, Joey, get that. Turn it off. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, I apologize. And this is live. That's See, that's why better. we do it. Because if we don't have um, to, we don't cut stuff out. That's the part of it. That's the fun of it. So I, li I like that. Don't worry about it. Uh, that's the exciting part, right? This is real exactly. life. Um, but w we live in a global society. The recent strength in the U.S. dollars, what brought the Dow Jones down the last couple of days? That's why the Nasdaq is outperforming the other indices. We are on the road to recovery. But if the rest of the world isn't going to follow suit with what we've done here, then you can't have a robust and full rebound in the United States without the other partners within the world, trading partners, all collectively having growing economies. And so, in fact, in Canada, you are still prohibited, if I'm correct, from traveling outside of the country, 
Is that, that is true? true? Yeah, we're only lifting our quarantine rules uh, early July, so July 5th. So okay. we're still behind the eight ball. Okay. Well, what that tells me is that the, you've gotten a handle on it and you want to curtail it. At the same time, you recognize there is a need that that, that open border reopen. And right now it has not. No, no, I was traveling. And oh, so, sorry for jumping in, but I was in the U.S. Uh, early in May, and that, uh, in, in in states okay. that dropped the mask mandate already in April. Different world. Like in Vancouver at the airport, maybe just to give you some feedback there. When I got to the airport at ten thirty in the morning, there were three flights going to the U.S. So the airport was pretty much dead. And then I landed in San Francisco, and people were stacked on top of each other. It was so busy. Right, so that that's the difference, and that's where I see the U.S. maybe being ahead of uh, global recovery by six to eight weeks, at least, based on on what I've been witnessing. Oh, absolutely. Um, it is a a big difference, and Canada will catch up to the U.S. rather quickly. I, I don't see an issue there. the The hot spots is what I'm concerned about, as well as for us here, the variants. There's a new variant that came from India called the Delta variant. Uh, we had one case in Hawaii. They caught that case and quarantined everybody around the gentleman. But the fact of the matter was he, like myself, was immunized. And he had mild uh, reactions to a flu. That's really what it was. So it shows that the vaccine is effective against the variants. But at the same time, they are a problem and they are a concern. But I'm optimistic about the future. I think that the worst is over. I think that we are at the end of the tunnel and we're seeing some of the light start to come in. Very good point, actually. That's the segue back to gold and silver. Is the fear trade over? Should we be shorting gold right now? What, what, what do you predict and what's your prediction to your audience and uh, your subscribers? Well, Right now, my overall consensus is gold will trade sideways to lower. Um, an upside move would have to come with a fundamental event that changed the current perception. I think that silver has been lackluster, if anything, and that lackluster that we're seeing in silver is just a, a, a very, very tight and narrow range that it has been trading in. And that, that, that's what we're looking at, right? And so, uh, but, but what I saw today, what surprised me a bit, that U.S. dollar was down, but gold was down as well. And that's a correlation you don't correct. see too often, in my opinion. So that, I was a bit surprised to see that. Well, that tells you that that, that move was was 100% plus due to sellers in the market or market participants being sellers. Um, I think that the, the downtick today was in reaction to uh, Powell's testimony. And something that he said struck me. And that was, he said, I don't see us having inflation like the 1970s. Well, I remember the 1970s. And that's when we had 10 to 15% inflation in that area. That was the Clinton area. And it was also with Clinton, it was the only time we had a budget surplus. But inflation was ridiculous. I would, I would just hate to see what kind of mortgage cost you get when your interest rate's sitting at 12 or 14%. And so by saying that, he was trying to set people's minds at ease. No, it's not going to be runaway. But we've been used to such a low inflation rate over the last couple of years, pre-pandemic days, uh, and even into the pandemic with the mandate of the Federal Reserve being to keep interest rates at 2%. 
Now they're letting them run hot in lieu of full employment. So they've shifted a little bit. But the important thing is that people aren't going back to work here because apparently uh, they're, they're making more money by being home than by being at work. And so what happens is you have all of these restaurants and the service industries uh, opening back up and there's 9 million unemployed and there's about that in terms of jobs that are available that no one's taking. And so because of that, uh, in terms of gold pricing, I see that sideways over the summer months. Very interesting statements because when I was down in the U.S. Early, earlier in May, I've, I've never seen so many help wanted signs. In, in, in that regard. And now a, uh, American Airlines, I think, announced today that they're canceling 80 flights a day because they don't have enough staff, which is also really interesting. So so my, my, maybe my last question, I could chat forever with you, Gary. It's really, really interesting. Uh, wage inflation is one thing. Do you think that will be an issue? Because that's also part of the transitory argument. Uh, we're not seeing wage inflation yet because there are so many open jobs. People don't have to work yet. Uh, September will, will probably truly tell us where we're headed in terms of inflation in, in, in general. Is that true? Well, if, if it truly is a point in time in which they stop doing the, uh, the extended unemployment in September, I think that you'll see a lot of the minimum wage jobs uh, begin to get filled up again because they have to work if they're not having any kind of an income. In terms of inflation itself, I think that where it involves a supply chain shortage, such as used cars, new cars, that is going to be transitory because that's going to be filled. But oil is not in that category and neither is food. And the primary goods and services that we have seen price hikes in continue to be rampant. And my sense is that while part of this real surge in inflation and the cost of goods and services a portion is transitory. I think that the largest overall portion is not. Higher prices in food is higher prices in food. That's not a supply chain issue to a great extent. Uh, but we will see all of these things get worked out, but we, I do believe we will be living with higher inflation. What we need to get a handle on is even though we have a robust GDP, is we have to get a handle on spending in the U.S. because we've gone to an extreme measure to first save the economy from a global depression, kind of, to uh, a rekindling of an economy that's opening up and certain issues within that. The key is going to be how our country deals with the national debt because GDP is is only goes so far. We we can't continue to outspend what we earn, uh, just as you or I can't spend twice what we make each month. It just doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And that's going to be the issue that haunts us in the years ahead. Fantastic. Gary, this is a fantastic note to end on. Uh, so the fear trade is still intact to, to a degree. We're still not out of the woodworks, in my opinion. So I uh, appreciate you coming on the program. This is hugely informative. Where, where can we find more from you? Thegoldforecast.com? Thegoldforecast.com, it's one word. Um, and there's all the information someone might want to look at and decide whether or not they see value in what services we offer. Fantastic. Gary, you need to populate your Twitter account a bit more as well. 
you only have uh, 1500 followers we need to get that number up uh i think you have you provide very very valuable insights into the market and uh Unfortunately, we're running out of time on the format. Otherwise, I, I chat with you for hours, to be honest. Really, really good stuff. Um, really appreciate you coming on the program. We have yet to talk copper. Maybe we'll get that in uh, right after the summer break. You got it. Maybe next exactly. time. Much appreciated, Gary. Everybody else, thanks for tuning in. This was SF Live episode 198 with Gary Wagner. He is the CEO and executive producer over at thegoldforecast.com. It was a huge pleasure chatting with him, talking about the fear trade, talking about gold, silver, the Fed comments, what, what did Jerome Powell say the last couple of days as well, and how did it factor into the markets? Really appreciate Gary coming on the program. Follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, hit the like and subscribe button, and uh, make sure to turn on that bell notification as well. We do all our interviews live, and uh, as you've noticed, there are always technical glitches, but that's the fun of doing live, and uh, that's why you hear it straight from us, no editing, and uh, that's it from us. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates and interviews. Thanks so much, Gary. Thank you for 